millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Hey, superstars of sobriety, or sober curiosity, whichever category you fall in. Hi, thanks for joining me this week on Last Drinks, and thanks for your time. You know what? I really do appreciate your time because I fully get how just nuts life is. It's just busy. And for you to carve out a bit of time to listen to what I have to say um, and to, you know, eavesdrop on a conversation that I'm really into, I, I really appreciate that. I understand that there are so many other ways you could spend your time, um, but for you to to give me a little bit of it is is really appreciated. And I really hope that the conversations I have on this podcast are helpful and beneficial and that they empower you. So let's get stuck right in. Actually, no. Firstly, I just want to read a message that I received on Instagram, Maz Compton on Instagram, or the podcast is Last Drinks Pod. Feel free to reach out, um, send feedback. If you want to be on the pod, let me know. I would love to have you on. Um, This is a question from a listener who says, Maz, can I ask you a question, please? Absolutely, always, anytime and anything. Um, This person writes, I am a functioning heavy drinker. I can go sober for a month, no problem. Or I have been known to extend this to 60 days or even 75 days, at least once a year. But I do recognize I have a problem as on the remaining days, I drink every single day a bottle of wine in the evening. My struggle is that I work for a drinks company and this is how I am where I am today. As a heavy midweek drinker and going out to hospitality venues is seen and acceptable in my work. I have been with this company for 20 years and my drinking has been in excess for over 15 years. I struggle being surrounded by drinks because they're free. I go to outlets where drinking is easily available, and I usually get budgeted if I say I don't want a drink. It is just a hamster wheel. Do you have any advice that would help? I have so much advice. So first of all, thanks for sharing. I so feel you and hear you and see you. And if this is Uh, not a message from you, but you identify with this story. Um, Look, I I was absolutely there too. I was trapped by the industry that I worked in too. I didn't work in the drinks industry. I worked in media, but it was very similar in that I had to be out and about and alcohol was free and available and it was just easy. Um, It was easier to have a drink than to argue with somebody about not having a drink. It takes a huge amount of work to get your brain rewired around what is the new normal for you? You know, the cut and dry advice is you could tap out of the industry. You know, it, I guess it just depends on what you're willing to let go of to embrace sobriety. And I'm not suggesting that you just throw your hands in the air and quit your job because I'm sure that you've got responsibilities and, you know, payments and bills and all, all of the stuff. But this could be an opportunity for you to look at another industry where you could transfer your skills across to or stick in the drinks industry and have a conversation with the company about doing a non-alcoholic drinks line and actually champion sobriety from within the alcohol industry. We need voices in that space. Uh, But I understand if you're super early on in sobriety or you're not even there yet, you're just thinking about it, that's a really huge undertaking. So, you know, I think from a practical sense, if you are going to give it a really big shot, Commit to a few months, commit to a good three to six months without booze, uh, set an intention there and then have just a really clear cut response that you can give to people if they do um, get in your face about not drinking, which could be as simple as, hey, I'm not drinking, 
it wasn't working for me health-wise or I found that not drinking is giving me better sleep patterns and so I'm just going on a bit of a health bender right now and I'm not having any alcohol. You can have a really simple one-sentence response to people uh, where you don't have to get into it. You can just say, hey, this is the reason I'm not drinking and leave it at that. Um, and the other thing you could do is maybe have a think about, you know, what events are really necessary um, or maybe you could actually sub somebody in for you at an event so you don't need to be there as much or all the time. I do think that sometimes, so there's a few strategies there that you can, you know, have a little think about. Um, I totally feel you and I know it's really tricky. The hamster wheel is tough when you're stuck on it. Um, and my encouragement is step off and really commit to a decent amount of time without booze. And I really feel like doors will open. So I hope that's helpful. Thanks for reaching out. Um, you're so brave. I fully get it. I'm so, I have so much empathy for your situation. Um, and I also know that your situation can train, change dramatically if you just, yeah, really double down on your choice to not drink. So let's get into a juicy chat. This week on the podcast, I'm chatting to Darren Fleming. Darren, man, he's done so many things. He's been a paralegal. He's sold vacuum cleaners, door-to-door, debt collector, banker. Um, he spent five years as a statistician for the Australian government. He's been a telemarketer. Um, he's got a brown belt in judo. I mean, this man just does everything but what I love about Darren is he is a behaviorist and he's very clever. And Darren has a super controversial idea about addiction. I always encourage people when it comes to sobriety in these conversations to keep an open mind. And I had to really do this myself. I was like, I fully don't understand what you mean, but I will fully sit here and listen to what you have to say and engage in it. And we do go through some scenarios where I really have rethought and reframed what my views of addiction are. So yeah, this, this chat might rub you up the wrong way, but that's cool. Stay open, you know, stay curious, keep that critical thinking on and and hear him out. It's really quite interesting. So enjoy, please enjoy Last Drinks with Darren Fleming, who is a really smart dude and a human behaviorist. There we go. Okay. Well, thank you for joining me on Last Drinks, Darren. It's, you know, these conversations that I'm having I usually do sort of a, a chat with somebody who's gone sober. I talk to them about their last drink, uh, how they arrived at that moment, why they decided to change their relationship with alcohol, the challenges that they found and the life that they've created. But I thought um, in this season of Last Drinks, I really want to dig into the nitty gritty and I really want to talk to some experts about why we do stuff that sometimes we don't want to do. And I think drinking yeah. is one of those behaviors that it is so normalized. And because I found this for myself in 2014, which was my last year drinking, I didn't want to drink anymore, but I kept doing it because I didn't know how to exist without it. And so the very thought of that is confusing. And so for me, I do use the terminology about drinking behavior so I figured mm. let's start with talking about our behaviors and why sometimes we behave in ways that we despise because it feels, it feels counterintuitive to behave in a way that we regret the next day or, you know, that we're embarrassed about or ashamed of, but it, it feels like a common thread through the alcohol use disorder and sobriety conversations. So can we start with, I guess, like a big umbrella conversation around behavior creation? So how how do we form behaviors? That's uh, let's let's just address the big question right up front. And uh, thanks, Maz, um, for the opportunity to be on. Um, by way of background, I haven't had a drink for I think just over twelve months, something like that. 
I just got to the point where I went, this is not functional for me. And I just stopped it. Um, but back to your question, how do, how do we create behaviours? So behaviours, we, we create behaviours because they feel good. Yes. And you, that, that's basically what it comes down to. Okay. But you said, why do we create maladaptive behaviours? Because, you know, we drink too much and then the following day we regret it. But between now and the following day, we actually feel quite good. Yeah. And it's that what causes it to feel good that unless we address that, we're never going to change our behaviour. Okay. And that's what I specialise in helping people with. So happy to unpack that with you now. Well, this is the thing. So, yeah, definitely with drinking, it feels good at some point. And I think for a lot of people, we sleepwalk into alcohol use disorder because we start drinking with our friends in our late teen years and it's, it's how we engage socially and it's really normal. But at some point, it stops being a good thing. At some point, you know, like the negative impacts start outweighing that little bit of fun or that little bit re- of relief. And so is it linked to how addictive alcohol is as a substance as to why we keep doing those behaviours or is it the brain chemistry and the neural pathways that have been created in that reward centre in our brain? So I'm going to be a little controversial here. Great. Um, I love controversy. Alcohol is not addictive. What? What do you mean, Darren? You can't say that. You're not addicted to alcohol. You're addicted to the sensation you experience in your body when you have alcohol. Okay, so, okay, that's that's a big statement. So let me just take mm-hmm. a moment. That's because it's the first time I've heard somebody say this. So we don't, in your opinion, expert opinion, we don't get addicted mm-hmm. to alcohol. We get addicted to what it does to our body and how it makes us feel. Yeah. So let's, let's take okay. this to a completely neutral environment away from alcohol, okay? Okay. Think of someone or something you love. Might be a person, might be a puppy dog. What would that be? I mean, I, would, I could say my child, but let's say my dog. My dog's name is Happy. Yeah, let's say your dog, okay? Why do you love that dog? Oh, my God, because he's part of my family. <laughs> and he's so damn okay, cute. Okay, why do you let him... It's you. Okay. So what does that, what does that cuteness give you? Well, to be honest with you, Darren, this is going to sound strange. I'm a real dog mum and it ticks a maternal box for me because it's another thing to love. Okay. So it ticks a maternal box. How do you know it ticks a maternal box? Because of how I feel when I look at my little doggy and I, I come home and my dog is just waiting on the front porch for me and then just leaps into my arms for a cuddle. And it's so exciting. So I want to, I want to tap into that. How do you, you, because you feel, feel. the way you feel about him. Yeah. yeah. So what, what is that feel? Describe that sensation. And, and when you describe it, don't, you, don't use nouns such as love, excitement. Use energetic sensation, rushing. Or what, what do you oh, feel? excitement, excitement. Well, excitement is still a label. Oh. Um, how do I feel? Can I say joy? Well, that's a label. What you might feel an energy rushing from your your solar plexus region, energy rushing up. You might feel. Well, okay, I feel my heart get bigger. Yep. Oh, cool. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel my heart explode a little bit. Like, in the sense that if I was to give that a label, I feel love and joy and excitement. But if I had to describe yeah, yeah. that, phys- <clears throat> the physical sensation is like I want to shake my hands and jump up and down a little bit. Like I can't contain so, so what, that. What you're feeling at that time is an energetic rush in you that you just, oh, my goodness, it's just so beautiful. Yes. And that's why you love and probably your kids and your partner. And well, all those look, it's like it's on, it's that on steroids for my child and my husband, definitely. But I, Yeah, but I, <laughs> Okay, so, so back to our little puppy dog. What would happen if you looked at that dog and you didn't have that energetic sensation? Oh, well, it would just not be a thing. <laughs> it would Yeah, it wouldn't be a thing. It wouldn't be a so deal. It wouldn't be a big you, deal. Go, I wouldn't get excited to go home. And I like I would it would just yeah. feel normal 
and really quite like like a plateau. Like there's no peak in my day because I'm not looking forward to that Russian excitement of having a yeah. dog jump on me. So, so if you came home and you saw the dog and you did not feel, now I get that this may not be all that easy to understand, but if you did yeah, no. not feel that energetic sensation, you would just go, oh, the dog's there and go in and do something else. You wouldn't care. No, but that makes me sad to think about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but that is true though, isn't it? Yes. If you didn't feel, yeah. So I want to put it to you that you're not a, you don't love the dog because the dog is still there. What you're saying is you don't love, you love that energetic sensation inside you. Yeah. I kind of get alcohol. Yeah. I kind of get what you're getting at. We don't love the alcohol. We love the feeling that Mm. that energetic sensation, that feeling. The rush, the buzz. Yes. Yeah. So it's not alcohol we're addicted to. It's the buzz inside our body that we're addicted to. And this is true for everything. I love speaking. I love being on stage. Why? Because I get a massive energetic sensation rushing through my body. If that went away, it would be gone. uh, In a previous life, I used to represent Australia in sailing, uh, time ranked very highly in the world. Did you really? And I got to a point where I was out sailing one day. I go, I'm not getting a buzz from this. I'm done. It's just not doing anything for me. I went back to shore. I gave the boat away for less than half price to somebody else who was young and wanted to get into the sport. And I haven't even been down to the sailing club since and I have not missed it. Why? Because that energetic sensation is no longer present in my body. I thought I was addicted to sailing. No, sailing is still down the road. I don't get that energetic sensation. So is Now, the that... reason this is important to understand mm. Is if we try and change that energetic thing, if we try and change our relationship to alcohol by affecting what is in the outside world, mm. i.e., in our environment, we're not going to overcome our addiction. What we have to do is change the relationship that we have to us. Yeah. Uh, I was listening to the podcast you did with um, David Campbell. And he's talked about how he just got to the point where, no, I don't need this anymore. Totally. He was like, I was he, getting bored. Yeah. That yeah. energetic sensation wasn't there and he just simply let it go. This is so interesting, Darren, because, and I, I guess I just have to relate. It's easy for me to relate what we're talking about to my personal sobriety story because it, I've I've walked through all of that. And I do, I I remember I feel like you've been able to articulate what I went through and I didn't have the words for it. But I remember in that year of my sober curiosity, I was so fed up with drinking and I didn't want to do it anymore. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to go to Carly's party because I don't want to drink alcohol. It's not that I don't want to go to Carly's party. She's one of my best mates and I love her and I really want to celebrate with her, but I don't want to drink alcohol. And for me, I couldn't separate the two things. I couldn't take alcohol out of the equation. And so it was really confusing because I was like, yeah. how, how do I go and celebrate with my friend and not drink alcohol? Because those two things for me were all like together all the time. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get to that point where they're like, I'm done with drinking, but I don't know how to exist in this society without it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because what's happened there, and we see this with most of people who have gone through alcohol transformation and once again it's going to be controversial Mm. Uh, i don't believe in being bored and saying everything that else everyone else says most people who don't drink simply changed their relationship to alcohol so the alcohol relationship used to be let's imbibe it okay Mm. so everywhere they went everything was about alcohol Mm. now everywhere they go everything is not about alcohol yes so they define what they do by their relationship to alcohol. I'm not going to that party because there's going to be alcohol and I will drink. And I've been 622 and a half days sober. Right. Anyone who can tell you how many days they've been sober has a very strong relationship with alcohol because they know how long they haven't had it. Mm. Now, this relationship with alcohol is much better for you physically, psychologically, emotionally, financially than consuming it. But it is still a relationship with alcohol. So what has happened is they have switched the buzz of drinking alcohol that you feel, the same buzz that you felt for your puppy, to a different energetic sensation inside them. 
it's still triggered by alcohol. It's just a different one, right. uh, a different energetic sense. So you're saying, so let me just try, and I might be wrong, but I'm just going to try and understand this as best I can. So they've switched the relationship. So instead of it being about the buzz that they get from consuming alcohol, it's almost like the satisfaction they get from not drinking alcohol and, and yeah. the defiance of going, I don't drink alcohol becomes the new relationship with alcohol. Yep. I totally get that as somebody who I think has defiance disorder. <laughs> <laughs> if that's a thing, I think I have it. <laughs> um, so, oppositional defiance disorder, it's called. I know. Well, and I'm not, I mean, I haven't been diagnosed with that, but we, you do go through my history and I do sometimes look at, I'm like, oh my God. Um, we, we, can, we can diagnose you that way if you want. Sure. I, look, it won't mean anything. Yeah, it's exactly. It doesn't on. mean anything. Um, but if it, look, it helped me get sober. So I'm, I'm grateful for it if that is the case. That's so interesting. So back on, so I know, and I know, yeah, so you did say it's controversial to say that alcohol you don't think is, is addictive. What happens then? Um, so some people do have significant withdrawal when, if they decide to stop drinking, they have physical yeah. um, symptoms of withdrawal. What is that then? That is the body going, I want to feel this energetic buzz Give it to me, damn you. Yeah, wow. So that's just our body's physiological response to yeah. that buzz and, and wanting and desiring that buzz so hard, our physiological body reacts in a particular way. Yeah. So <clears throat> there is a force in our body. I'm going to get a little bit Star Warsy here. On this you. is great. There's a force inside your body. It drives energetic sensation. So... You are, you've, have you had the idea of, oh, I almost feel as though the, the, that beer is calling me. I can feel the call. I can hear the beer calling. I can hear it's beer o'clock. Yeah. And it's almost like an energy within us forcing us to have a drink, mm. pulling us towards, that is the force, okay? The force is neither good or bad. It simply is. And what that force is doing is drawing you to have something. And the way we normally counter that is instead of going, uh, we, we set habits up, we set the environment up. So if I have an energetic sensation within me, the force that draws me to have a, a, a beer or a wine or a whatever, mm. simply remove it from the house and you are going to um, be free of it. Okay? Yeah. So set the environment up. Yeah. Or... You do something like James Clear Atomic Habits where you do habit stacking and you create habits and discipline so you don't have them. Yeah. But once again, I'm going to be controversial. Habits and discipline are a cage to keep freedom at bay. Habits and discipline are a cage to keep freedom at bay. Whoa. Because if you want to break a habit, is that a good or a bad thing? Don't break habits. These are the things that I've got. That's keeping me, me um, from doing all these other things. My habits stop me doing stuff or my habits keep me doing stuff. So from there, you have removed free choice. So you're not freedom. Oh, wow. Okay. So, well, if so you what use about boundaries? Habit, well, you can have your own boundaries, but that's just simply because I don't like going there. Not simply, not I, if I choose to go across there, I can, but like I choose to not cross that boundary. Because that's choice. So you're saying choice is more empowering and freeing than habitual. Um, by definition, yes. By definition. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. So, so what is happening is I have this draw. I'm being drawn to have a beer or I'm being drawn to have a scotch or whatever. And, and this is the world that I lived in for a while. Mm. Um, by a while, I mean you're like 40-odd years. I'll take out... Now, 30 odd years. Oh, look, it's a blip on the radar on the grand scheme of things, Darren. <laughs> Absolutely. The universe will continue. So we feel drawn to it. So instead of putting habits in place, I don't drink before seven o'clock at night. I don't drink after dinner mm. because they're habits and we, we run up against that guardrail. Why stop yeah. it? Why don't you simply deactivate the force that is causing that? Yeah, look, I, I don't, I can absolutely understand what you're saying there. And I, cause I think what people do, certainly myself is I had these rules, call them rules, boundaries, habits, what have you, when I was drinking, 
And I, so I had these rules where I was like, well, I'm not going to drink before midday. Cause if I drink before midday, then obviously I've got a drinking problem. Or, um, I would say I'm only going to, yes, I'm only going to drink on Friday night this weekend, because if I drink both nights and I'm going to be too hungover for work on Monday. And so these rules that I created subconsciously, I never really sat down and like had a conversation about it, but I, I know I had these rules in place and that was to keep me. And you're right. It's the opposite of freedom. That was to keep me in a place where I quote unquote, didn't have a drinking problem I needed to deal with because if I could exist in, and regardless of how much or how many, but if I could exist in a space where I didn't drink before then or after then or around there or this many days a week, then that equals I'm okay. And if I blew out one of those boundaries, I would just be like, oh, well, I just had an off week. I'll get back on track next week. Back on track was a bottle of wine a night, mind you. And, you know, not, and again, it doesn't really, it's not really about quantity, but it's about that relationship. And I was so dependent on this substance to function because I didn't want to deal with my trauma and the imposter syndrome that I was feeling. I now know all of this eight years sober, but in that moment, all I knew was if I don't drink now, it means I don't have a problem, which means then I'm okay. And that is a false narrative as far as I'm concerned. Because when I look back, I'm like, I absolutely had alcohol use disorder. I was a gray area binge drinker. And I, and I, at some point I chose sobriety and I made an empowered choice. And Mm. it's just interesting. So what, so when we talk about habits and creating good habits and not having bad habits. Is that just language around the psychology of how our brain works? Like where do those terms come from? Because they're very common terms that I think people are really used to saying, like I've got to, you know, I get up in the morning and go for a run. Well, that's your habit. Yeah. So you've got this habit of getting up in the, is that true? That's one of your habits? Go up, well, get up, go for a run? I get up and go to work. So that wasn't a great example, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. That, that, that's my point. So. If you have the habit of I get up and go for a run each morning, what happens when you, you know, you go for a run, but you want to actually be home for when your daughter gets up because it's her birthday today. Right. And normally you're out running. So, well, I'm not going not gonna to go to work, not going to go running this morning because I want to be there when she wakes up. Of course. Um, but tomorrow is uh, your son's birthday. Like they're two years apart, you know, they just happen to land two day, a day apart. And you want to be there for him when he wakes up. So now you've broken your, your habits two days in a row. Oh, yeah, but it's for a good reason. James Clear in Atomic Habits says you can skip one day but never two. Well, that's Thursday and Friday you skipped. And normally you would go for a run on Saturday to make up for it. But every Saturday morning you go down and help people at the old home. You've got to be there by 7 o'clock. And, you know, you want to have breakfast with your family beforehand. So mm. now you've broken three habits out of no excuse of your own, no fault of your own. Mm. And, you know, you break a habit three times. It's, it's good as dead. Well, at least I'm a really good person in this scenario. <laughs> but, but, but isn't that just a narrative? Yeah. The story you're telling yourself? So, yeah. This but, is... and, and everything is a story. It is. Everything, absolutely everything is a story. So if you're telling yourself, at least I'm a, or I did this, you're telling yourself a story, which is like bullshit. So we, do we need to rethink addiction? Do we need to like, oh, yes. like really, really at the, at the root of it all, we really need to do some work on rethinking and reframing what addiction actually is and then coming yep. at it from a different place. Because the, the way you speak of it, Darren, is really, it's light to listen. It's very achievable. You know, like if we're not in the depths of addiction, to a substance, it's, it's really, it really, really boils down to active choice, being present with our choices and choosing better when we know better. And that seems really manageable and really doable. That doesn't feel scary and overwhelming. Yeah. But, but don't forget addiction is not just booze or cigarettes or or alcohol. It's I, I deliberately stay at work late to do other things to avoid the discomfort of going home and having that conversation with the wife or the kids or the kids are annoying me. Uh, Or I, I deliberately choose to take the late flight home uh, when I've been interstate or I deliberately choose to be away and we get addicted to being away from home because Mm. it's easier. Mm. And 
once again, that is simply about the energetic sensation in your body. Right. So why do people work hard or, you know, the classic thing that happens in society is some troubles at home and we start working harder. Why? Because it means we can work late, we can do something that is socially acceptable. Mm. Uh, oh, God, he must be a good bloke. He's working hard again. He's working late tonight. That's socially mm. acceptable. But why am I doing that? Well, I just don't want to go home and face the, um, the terror of the wife or the kids or the whatever. Yeah. So if we break that down, what we're looking at is we don't want to go home because there will be an energetic sensation within us, the force that we don't like. So I want to stay away from that. Mm. The idea of working late, well, that's not as bad as the force going home. And let's face it, this big project is exciting and I can sink my teeth into it. So I like that energetic sensation. Not only that, I look pretty good to the boss that I'm working late and my colleagues are going, oh, man, you're up for a promotion soon. Mm. So there's positive energetic sensations that I like by avoiding going home. And if I do go home, I get the negative energetic sensation. So it's that that is an addiction. Once again, we're addicted to the energetic sensations in our body to either like or avoid. And so, you know, the, the other way around that, other than staying back late at work and, you know, burying your head in the sand is to go home and sort your relationship out. Yes, but most people won't do that, will they? Well, no. Because it means leaning that. into something that's difficult. Hard. Well, and that's why people don't stop yeah, so drinking. Why? <laughs> because, so why is it hard? Well, that's why people don't stop drinking because I certainly found when I stopped drinking, I had all these feelings that I didn't like for a while. I was like, oh, my God, oh, I'm no. feeling things and I don't like them. And usually the alcohol sort of numbs all of that. And so not feeling was one of the reasons that I drank. And when I stopped drinking, I had all these feelings and I was like, shoot, maybe I should go to a counsellor and sort this out. Similar, I guess, in, you know, a relationship that's going through a bit of dysfunction. Yeah, it is hard. Well, it's hard because you're dealing with another human being and humans are complex. No. No. (laughs) No. I'm going to be controversial here. You are not dealing with another human being. In your relationship? No, you're not. Okay. I know this guy's off the planet. No, he doesn't agree is, no, with anything. Is, the book this is so interesting, though, Darren, and I love I love it that you're flipping the script and 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 I you're making me think. And this is great. This is what I love. And and, and by way of qualifications, I do have qualifications in psychology. So this is not I'm not <laughs> no. coming at this from from a nowhere. Yeah. You's, yeah you's so know a so little bit about what you you're go doing home. Now. Yeah. So you go home, and, and this is not your case, but let's pretend it is. Okay. Let, let's say Jane Jane goes home and um, sees her significant other and um, that person, there is some tension in the relationship. Yeah. Okay? How does Jane know there's tension in the relationship? Well, she can feel it. Ah. So what if that feeling went away? Okay. There wouldn't be any tension, would there? Because you wouldn't feel it because it's not there. Right, okay. So the same way you come home to your puppy dog and you only like the puppy dog because of that energetic sensation, if that energetic sensation goes away, you don't like the puppy dog, Jane comes home, there's an energetic sensation she doesn't like. Mm. If she comes home and her significant other is there and she gets an energetic sensation. If she comes home, her significant other is there and she doesn't get that energetic sensation, there's no problem. Okay, so hang on a second. Are you saying that because I I have said this to my husband before, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, real insight into my marriage, and I've studied a bit of psychology. <laughs> so all so like we, I remember we had we got a bit stuck, and um and we went to a, a counselor, and this sort of narrative came up where. Base, I don't want to like say him or me or whatever, but this was the conversation. It was like, you can't make me feel One things. One of us said. Yeah. You can't yeah. make me feel things. You're saying you made me Correct. feel like this. You made me feel bad. And then the other person is like, no, you've chosen to feel bad. I cannot make you feel things. You choose your feelings, which is a really is like big thing to do and if you're having that conversation make sure there's a therapist in the room 
Um, but it was excellent because we did arrive at this place where we both could acknowledge and accept that taking accountability for our own feelings. I feel like this is, is this a similar thing with the force and the tension and the, so you're, you are picking up on it, but you're also engaging so in what it happened? and choosing yeah. it. Yeah. So okay. we have this analytical thinking mind. Okay. It walks into the room and it takes in the photons of light that are bouncing off the person. Okay. So the reason you see things, mm. we're going back to year eight science here. The reason you can see things, the reason I can see, you know, what's on my desk here, the mouse and the keyboard is light is bouncing off them. And there's that photon of light is entering my eye. Mm. It's hitting the uh, nerve receptors. Yep. At the back, that photon of light is converted to an electrochemical signal, which goes through the optic nerve, through the thalamus, back to the occipital lobe where the visual cortex decodes it. Okay? We yeah. aren't looking out at the world. Everything we're experiencing, we're experiencing inside the head. So, yes. Okay. Yes. Into, Jane, walks home, Jane walks into the house, sees the significant, her significant other. The light comes in. When it comes in, it hits programming. There is programming within us. Now, depending on your frame of reference, if okay. you're a Buddhist, you might say it's from 15 lifetimes ago. If yep. you're, uh, you know, an atheist, it's, you know, something happened previously in this current life. doesn't matter. It is in there. And what happens is that programming gets triggered by what is seen. You following that so far? I am. Well, can I just pause for a sec? And I just want to make sure I am following along. So. Sure. Th- so this lump of fat in my head, my brain, has all this programming in it. And when something enters into my eye, it activates the program, which is based on all the past experiences. Yes. Or some past experiences. Or some. Or some. But, like, yes. it's a past experience that's getting triggered. And then am I going to start feeling whatever I felt when the the last time that happened based on the program in my head. It's like this automatic yep. response. Yep. Yep. You cannot stop the triggering happening inside you. It's happening um, at an automatic level. So this triggering happens. So the thinking mind is looking out, sees the significant other, feels this energetic sensation inside and then goes, well, significant other, energetic sensation, clearly, the significant other caused this feeling. Kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. You make me feel Mm -hmm. this way. Yeah. No. All that has happened is that significant other has triggered an energetic sensation that is inside you. Wow. So what happens is when we realise that all that is happening is the energetic sensation, the force is being triggered by what's in your environment, Carl Jung said, until we make the unconscious conscious, it will continually turn up in our life and we will simply call it fate. This is why people have a relationship. It's not working out for me. They quit that relationship. They go to the next relationship. And what do they find? Yeah. Same Same goddamn problem. So they Mm. quit that relationship. They also quit the job because they're having problems. They change both of them. Two years later, they still got the same damn problems. Why? Because... The triggers, we, we take behaviours that cause the triggers to come in through our eyes that triggers patterns and mm. the programming comes up so the unconscious can be made conscious and then we have a choice. Yeah. We can either let the conscious, unconscious become conscious or we can suppress it and start the process again. We're just patterns and programming, aren't we? Yeah. I wanted to just take a moment because this is not about like well, this is your fault because you are the way that you are and you've been creating this negative force of energy and so it's all your fault. This is not a blame game at all. That blame-shame cycle is is not, yeah, this is about awareness and this is an education bit. And I think once, if you can, if you really can, you know, put everything you think you know and just stick it in a box for a second and just have a listen to this narrative and this conversation, it does make sense. And then, you know what, it's like, when you know better, you can do better. So if you know that you are patterns and programming, if you know that you're, you can take some accountability for how you're feeling, regardless of what everybody else is doing in the other room, then you've got ownership, empowerment, and you've got choice and choice is freedom. And that is the, one of the best things about 
choosing not to drink alcohol and living a life of sobriety is you do feel free. You, you actually, you don't feel like you're battling and that you're losing your grip on or you're trying to control or you're out of control. You genuinely feel free. And I, I you know, I say sobriety is my superpower because it, it really exploded my life. But I, I really appreciate having, you know, this conversation is, it's a bit of a brain bender. Yes. But so worthy of having it for somebody it can unlock something for them where they go, oh, huh, you know what? Maybe I am patterns and programming and maybe I can just reprogram. And that's, that is a lot easier than... Don't, don't reprogram because reprogramming is assuming that the new program is better than the old program. So we deprogram. Yeah, Unprogram. simply deactivate. Deactivate. That was deactivate. the word I was thinking. <laughs> deactivate. Would, would you like to know the secret to deprogramming? Activate. Yeah, how do you, how do you deactivate the all the programming? Well, come back stuff? to this podcast and we'll tell you all about it. <laughs> 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 no, let's not. Let's not be that mean. Let's give the answer. So, you, there you are. You're potentially struggling with the the urge or the draw of alcohol, uh, but really, all of that is is you're struggling with the urge of the energetic sensation that you want to experience in your body. Mm-hmm. Carl Jung said, until we make the unconscious conscious, it will continually turn up in our life and we will call it fate. Is, he's one of the fathers of psychology. Yeah, so yeah. Freud is considered yeah. the grandfather of psychology, yeah. of modern psychology. Jung studied under Freud yeah. and then became a contemporary of. Yeah, just to um, context that for – like, I, I, I yeah. know of this person because I've studied psychology, but for someone who hasn't, they're like, who? <laughs> it's not yeah. a Korean so the, the, we're talking. <laughs> We're talking uh, late 1800s Vienna. Yeah. Um, so until we make the unconscious conscious, it will turn up in our life and we will call it fate or an addiction. Mm. You're sitting there. It's getting towards that time where you feel the draw to have a drink. Okay. Simply sit there and experience that energy. Most processes are about denying that energy. Mm. And what happens is it then goes down, sits there, and then it bursts straight up and the body gets fried and goes, I can't handle this. I need some alcohol. Okay. So as that energetic sensation comes on, I want you to sit there and observe it. Let the energy flow through your body. It might take two or three minutes. It might take 10 minutes. Mm. but it will dissipate. Now, we know it will dissipate because of the law of impermanence. Nothing, and I mean nothing in the universe, is permanent. There was a time before you existed, Maz, where no one heard of Maz. You are here now. There will be a time in the future when Maz no longer exists. I know, and the world will be a darker place. But Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. So this energetic sensation in you won't last forever. Yeah. So sit there and watch it. That's so Just interesting. Flow through your body. Yeah. Don't label it. This is my urge to drink. Don't make it right or wrong. Oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Don't justify it. I feel this way because. Don't don't explain it. Don't make any story. Just watch it. Give it your 100% divided attention. Don't act on it and mm. just watch it. And you will find that it will dissipate. And that energetic sensation will have been have moved from the unconscious to the conscious. Yeah. And when you have made it conscious, it will stop showing up. That's so interesting, Darren. And I've said before that um like when I first stopped drinking and I would have those sort of, I would call it a craving or whatever you're, what you yeah, it's, refer it's what to. We call it craving. Yeah. Like, but that energetic force of like, oh my God, I really feel like a drink today. And I, I said, I'm not drinking this month. And, um, yeah. and I likened it to, I was lucky enough to grow up by the beach. And when you, when you do your bronze medallion, you, you go under a wave and you, you get, you hit the sand and the wave goes over you and then you pop up and it's calm again. And that's what I, yeah. that is that sensation that I kind of went through with those cravings where I was like, I can feel this craving coming on. 
normally what I would do is I would go to the fridge, I would get a glass of champagne or screw it. I'd maybe get a straw in a bottle, whatever, and I would drink. But I'm not going to do that. And and it did feel like that was the consciousness of those thoughts was going to the sand under the ocean and that wave of craving would go and then I'll pop my head up a few minutes later and be like, oh, yeah, I just got through that and I didn't drink. Oh, look, here we go. And I yeah. think, and the more you practice that, the more that becomes normal. Then And then you know, you're like, oh, my God, I did it. Like I got through that moment. Oh, my God. And then, you know, it's ups the ante when something really terrible happens in your life that you usually, your default is I'm going to drink because I don't want to feel this or deal with this or whatever it is that's showing up for you. Um, you know, that that's like that next level, but. Can I take that to the next level? Please. So what you're doing with that is you're simply avoiding the energetic sensation. Yeah. Oh, I'm just going to push it. You're suppressing it. You're avoiding it. Yeah. Okay? And it will, it will go back down and it will bury itself and you will come out the other side, not having drunk and you go, Hey, I'm in the calm again. Yay. Mm. But as you said, it next levels it when something bad happens. Yeah. Um, or you've got to redo it in two or three hours time or maybe 20 minutes time when that urge decides to come back because the unconscious wants to be made conscious. Uh, It might come back when you're out at your lunch break and you've walked past a pub and you've smelt the smell and it's triggered you. Yeah. So it is still there. Instead of avoiding it or suppressing it, sit there and let that sensation move through you. Observe it. Pay 100% attention to it. This is powerful. So to give context, I I generally don't like to share this story, but I will. Uh, I had a pretty fraught relationship with my ex-wife. It was like just like really tough and niggly and like it just was terrible. And every time I I spoke to her, it was just like so hard. Mm -hmm. And like she was just being a this, that and the next thing. Um, but of course, it wasn't her. It was what was going on in me. Well, I was she about was to point that out. <laughs> I was like, hang on yeah, a second. Yeah. Hang on. You, earlier, you said. Yeah. So I go, okay, Darren, if, you're, if, you, if, if this is what you believe and this is what you know and this is what you teach to corporate Australia, you've got to practice it, Sunshine. Oh, wow. So I sat down in the kitchen and I just sat there on a chair, closed my eyes if I wasn't distracted, uh, and then just thought of my ex-wife. And in front of me, in my mind's eye, uh, a big hole in the ground opened up and lava spewed up through that. This this is all happening in my mind's eye. Yeah, sure. So it's not real. Yeah, but that's And I watch it. Holy moly. Mm. Look at this. It was just spewing up. It's going hundreds of metres in the air. And I watched this for five minutes. I go, holy shit. Then after about five minutes, it started to subside. And it was subsiding and going down further and further. And after about 10 minutes, it was completely gone. I could look down into the hole. And I, in my mind's eye, I can still remember looking into the hole and going, oh, wow. Then I thought, okay, let's think of my ex-wife again. And I didn't have any energetic sensation about her. Then when I had to speak to her next week, it was a functional conversation. Mm. We discussed what we needed to do. And then we moved on. Now, this is, was never about me becoming bestest buddies with her. We'd proved no. that wasn't going to work. Sure. But I could engage with her and um, do what needed to be done for the benefit of our children totally. without the fire and brimstone. Yeah. Well, and just being peaceful and calm. Yeah. You know, is the way that, God, so it's that's not exhausting. You know, like, no. so all that energy, that lava and that, all of that is, what is that? Is that your unprocessed crap? That is my programming. Your programming. That is my programming. That, so I mentioned earlier that, you know, it's about owning your own stuff. It's not about them. It's about you. And I said, it's actually a thank you moment. It's not a blank moment. Wow. I had to thank and have thanked my ex-wife for triggering that in me. Wow. Because it is no longer in me. Yeah. Which means now with my new wife, my, my beautiful wife now, I don't have you to don't deal have that with stuff. that shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, bleh. yep, got it. <laughs> and it, is, it literally is that simple. I know. And we, do, like, we don't like simplicity. Observe. We don't like simple things, Darren. We like things to be complex no. and too hard. Because if they're too hard, we don't yeah. have to do them. 
Um, but exactly, but and this, I can then yeah. remain addicted and yeah. inside my body. And I say this too, and again, this is not about finger pointing and shaming people at all. This this is not my intention. You know, I'm I'm pointing the finger inwards, if anything, just by way of example. But I remember thinking that quitting drinking would be really hard. It was actually really easy. And it was easy for yeah. me because I was so conscious of wanting to stop. And I, I think I safeguarded it really well. I planned it really well. And then I think had I have known this back then, I would have been sitting with my big old volcano in my mind's eye. But it took a little while longer for me to learn how to process complex emotions and deal with past traumas. And that came like two years later through counselling and, and my amazing therapist who helped me through so much stuff. Um, but it, it took mm. me a while. It's it's a real process. And this isn't like, oh, you know, just sit in your kitchen on a bar stool and imagine a volcano and then your life's going to be fixed. It's not about that. But this is a great tool that people can use if they want to try it out, you know, and, and thinking differently about addiction and the language we use around alcohol use disorder or binge drinking or whatever you want to label it, reimagining that means we can reimagine how to get through it and how to cut it out of our lives. Because, I mean, you said yourself you stopped drinking a little while ago because it just wasn't working for you. So you're like, well, I'm done now. Yeah. 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 Wow. And then, then I tried to have another one. I went, no, this drink's got bones in it. I put it down and didn't touch it. Yeah. Then my wife went, you want a drink? I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm good. Then, you know, the next family dinner, you want a drink? No. Nah, I'm good. I'd let the energy go and I yeah. wasn't pushing back on it because yeah. a lot of people who are trying to quit, they ask, do you want a drink? And they say no, but internally they they're having that they, eruption. Yes. Then. Yeah, inside so they're what? like, yes, I really want to drink so freaking bad, but I promised myself I wouldn't or I promised my husband yeah. I wouldn't or I, you know, yeah. whatever. And so, so it's if you're living moment. in conflict then, right? Yeah. And conflict then, is, is shit. Yeah, so conflict. how do you address that conflict in that moment when you're feeling that energetic sensation to say yes, but you say no? What do you do? Watch. Just observe the energy and let it flow through. Let it move through your body. It wants to move through your body. Just let it do oh. it. That will make the unconscious conscious. Then it will stop turning up as a fate or addiction. Whoa. This is so fascinating, Darren. I I just could talk to you for days but I feel like I want to leave it there for, because I think my brain's going to explode into that volcano that was in your mind's eye because you've given me a lot to yeah. think about but I, again I love it and as you said like you know you said you're controversial but I don't care like if this is going to help someone then great be controversial I, you know I and, would love people to try this and send me an email yes. uh, darren at au, and let me know how it's worked for you Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod.